1: hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We are a church for those who don't have Bibles. We, well, one of our vision statements is we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. And what we mean by that is it has no bearing on how long you've been in church or your history or knowledge of God or Jesus. Uh, we believe that we all start at different places, but we're all going to the same place. Come on, somebody say amen. We're all going to the same place. We're all going back to Jesus. And so 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, has this message series been a blessing to anybody frequency? Has it changed your prayer life? I hope it has. We've been uh, in 21 days of prayer and today is the 21st day of 21 days of prayer. Yeah, don't don't clap for that. Uh, say all oh, on three, one, two, three, Oh, Yeah, but the good news is your prayer life doesn't have to end. With twenty-one days of prayer, so I want to invite you to continue pressing into God. I'm excited about this last message, this last installment. I believe uh, it's going to bless your life. So, First John chapter five, verse thirteen through fifteen: I have written this to tell you who believe in the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life, and we are sure of this that He will listen to us whenever we ask Him for anything in line with his will and if we really know he is listening when we talk to him and make our requests then we can be sure somebody say sure then we can be sure that he will answer us he will answer us the title of today's message is pretty simple pretty straightforward pretty right to the point It is your answer, your answer, your answer. You know, one thing I know is that we are all asking God for something. Uh, The person to your left and the person to your right, you don't know their story. You might be asking for financial blessing. They might be asking for a special someone to come into their life. Uh, You might be asking for children. They might be asking for a better special someone to come into their life. You might be asking for a job and they might be asking for direction we all come in here with different questions but if there's one thing i know if there's one thing that bonds us all together is that if we're here this morning i know this to be true we are all looking for an answer we're all looking for an answer and it is my hope that you get your answer today now i want to go out and just say it right here uh straightforward i i do, i am not saying that i think i know your answer Okay, God did not give me a vision of the lottery numbers for you to play tomorrow. I didn't get that in a dream. Um, God did not show me the first name, last name, and social security number of your future husband. I didn't get that info in my, in my, in my vision. I, I missed it. I was blinking when that happened. Um, I, don't, I, I, don't, I haven't come this morning to give you the answer, but I do believe God has showed me some things this week about your answer. And what I want to teach you today are some principles about your answer, the answer you've been waiting for, the answer you've been to the question that you've been asking God. I think I know some things about your answer. And if you apply these principles, I believe with all of my heart that it is very possible, listen to me, that you can leave this building today with your answer. I believe that. And so listening from God can be tricky business. How many people know that? Hearing from God can be tricky business. and Sometimes we hear from the Lord and we're not sure if it's really the Lord, if it's really the Holy Spirit, if it's the pizza, if it's the devil, if it's the neighbor, if it's our mom. Um, we don't really know what it is. Uh, that scary movie we saw, you know, last night. And... Uh, and, uh, and so we're not really sure. And, uh, you know, it actually happened with my wife Liz uh, a long time ago. She uh, had just gotten saved around 21 years old, and she had been in and out of church. She grew up in church, but uh, kind of in her teenagers, kind of went her way. And actually after a near-death car accident, um, God really started to shift her life in the right direction. And she got saved at 21 years old. What does that mean? She gave her life to Jesus. She said, Jesus, take all of me at 21, and uh, at 21, uh, she gave her life to Jesus, and at 22, she was praying for a husband, because when we ask God to do something in our life, we think that he's gonna do everything all at one time, but that's not how God works. He often takes his time, Uh, even though we would want him to give it all to us in one shot, uh, he doesn't do that, he takes his time. And so she was praying for an answer. She said, Lord, give me a man, all right? Uh, and, uh, and, And she was at church one day, and her pastor was there, and her pastor was very known, I mean, very known for being prophetic. What does that mean? Uh, her pastor, she knew things about you that you didn't know about yourself. I didn't, uh, you knew about yourself, but no one else knew about you. And she would meet you, and then within a couple minutes of, of meeting you, she would tell you things about you that you just had never told anybody. And uh, she had that gift, and, and uh, Liz knew that because she had said things to Liz in her life that only Liz knew about. And one day at an altar call, she looked at Liz, and she said, I know you've been praying for a husband. Liz said, <laughs> amen. Amen. That's what I've been praying for. Amen. And she said, so she said, and, 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 she said and I want to let you know I know who your husband is. She said, amen. Amen. She said, and, and then she looked at this guy right next to her and said, this is your husband. And that man, who she pointed to 12 years later was not me. <laughs> was not me. She was off, y'all. She was off. Big time. Oh. Liz. Somebody I thought it was gonna be one of those cool stories. No, it was she was off. She was wrong, completely wrong. And she, and, but Liz, you know, had trust in her pastor. And so she said, okay, and she started dating this dude. For six months. They dated, and after six months, she just realized this wasn't the guy for me. And I want to share that with you because I think there are some people here who might have experienced something like that in church before. Or maybe you've experienced something like that personally. Like maybe you read your Bible and then you you got up from your Bible time and you were like, God is asking me to do this. And you go and do that thing you could have sworn God asked you to do. And everything went wrong. (laughs) And everything filled, You were like, never again will I listen to the voice of God. Never again will I ask the Lord for an answer because I always get it wrong. And I just want to encourage you, if you've ever missed it before, don't give up on getting your answer. Because even in the midst, there's a message. I really do believe that. Because even the best of us, and I really do want you to catch this, even the best of us miss it sometimes. Right? Samuel was an amazing man of God and he missed it. He certainly didn't miss it. If you don't know anything about Samuel, he, read First Samuel three nineteen. It tells you everything you need to know about him. Here's 1 Samuel 3, 19. This guy was a prophet. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. You know what that means? That means that Samuel was so in tune with God's voice, he was so in tune to the frequency that he could tell exactly what God wanted to do, and then he would say it, and because it was exactly what God wanted to do, it would happen. He was in tune with the voice of God. Well, this guy who was so in tune with the voice of God, look what happens in chapter 16. In chapter 3, not one of his words, would fall to the ground. But in chapter 16, he's about to anoint the next king of Israel, and God tells him the king is somewhere in Jesse's house. Jesse was a father, he had eight boys. And he said, one of those boys is gonna be the king of Israel. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and this is what happens in verse six. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought. Now, here's what you know. You know about Eliab. Eliab was tall and Eliab was muscular. Eliab had a six pack. Eliab, Eliab was just. He was just. He just looked like a king, and he thought surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Surely, and all the people. Who, who were so sure, if you were sure that someone in your life was supposed to be the one for you, and then they ended up not being the one for you, that is your chance to say amen right there. Because you looked at them and you thought, surely the Lord's anointed. is here. His biceps are anointed. My Her mascara is anointed. Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before me. Only to find out, only to find out, Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance mm, or his height, mm, for I have rejected him. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it disappointing to be so sure about someone in your life and to find out that the one you wanted was the one the Lord rejected. The Lord knows things that we don't know. There's always a miss in the message and here's the miss in this message. Listen, your answer will not look like what you thought it would look like. I need to tell you that. Because some of you guys have an expectation for the way God is going to answer your prayer. And I hate to be the one to disappoint you, but God is not known for meeting your expectations. He's not. The king of Israel was dressed up like a shepherd, not even strong enough. David was the one. He was just a 12-year-old boy. He wasn't tall. He wasn't strong. He was scrawny. He was was so weak that he couldn't even lift up a shield and a sword. We actually have an example of that where King Saul tried to give him a shield and a sword. He was like, it's too heavy, bro, I can't carry it. This was the king. I can imagine the surprise of the magi as they walked into Bethlehem. They had been waiting for the king of Israel, the savior. And they walk into this town and he doesn't even have a bed. He's lying in the haystack of a donkey. And they're thinking, this is... Is the one that i've been praying for i was expecting a royal you know his highness i was expecting somebody with a scepter i was expecting someone with fire in their eyes a little baby that smells like poop <laughs> that's your king this is why so many people miss jesus y'all because they were expecting jesus to come as a that's why so many people missed the cross because they didn't understand that the cross would be the way that jesus would save the world They were looking at the cross with all the blood and all the gore and all the skin being peeled off. And they thought that they were watching a horror flick. But it wasn't a horror flick. It was a rom-com. What do I mean by that? One, it was romantic because that was the way that he would show the world he loved them. And second, although there was nothing funny about what was taking place, his suffering would forever become our joy. And now we get to laugh at the devil because of the suffering of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's worthy to give God some praise right there. We cannot judge... We cannot wait for our answer to come packaged a certain way because it might not look like what you thought it would look like. And so don't be quick to judge your situation because the situation that you're asking God to take you out of might just be the answer to the prayer that you've been asking him to bring into you. I'm trying to tell you what looks like a separation could be restoration. What looks like a layoff could be a promotion. What looks like a failure could be the fodder for your dream. I bet the Israelites were real surprised when Moses was like, hey, y'all, we're out of here. We don't got to be slaves no more. He was the the leader of the Israelites. They were slaves of the Egyptians for 400 years. He says, guys, God says we're going out. And they were like, I'm out. Let's do it. And they follow Moses to a land of milk and honey. Except before they can go to the land of milk and honey, they end up in a desert for 40 years. What was God trying to tell them? That sometimes deliverance looks like a desert. Do not judge your situation by what it is because the way God answers your prayers will surprise you. I remember when I first proposed to Liz, I guess not first, the only time I ever proposed to Liz (laughs) was on Christmas Eve and I wanted to make it special, you know. And I tried to be real creative with it and I guess I did something I thought was creative which was not original in the least. I did one of those things where, you know, you have like a big gift. But then in the big gift, you put a little gift. And in the little gift, you put a littler gift. And the littler gift, you put even little. Well, I got carried away. I had like six gifts up in that thing, all right? And she just kept going deeper. And then the littlest gift was the engagement ring. But I wanted to make the box heavy. So I put weights. I put barbells, like uh, not barbells, dumbbells, in the, in, the, in the box. So when she picked it up, she'd be like, oh, what's this, right? And then that's how it was supposed to go. That's how it was supposed to work. So it's Christmas Eve, she opens up the first box, and there's nothing in the box but a little box. She's like, oh, okay, this is cool. She opens up a little box, nothing in that box but another box. She opens up that box, and that box is where the barbells are. So now she thinks (laughs) that my Christmas gift to her is workout equipment. (laughs) Which is not a gift you get your girl. Because that can send an unintended message. Merry Christmas. Get fit. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Lose some pounds. Like it's not what the message I was just sending. And I love my wife because she she looked at it and she looked at me and she said, thanks. She didn't want to hurt my feelings. But then what happened next was I had to stop it. Because what happened next was she took the box and she started to move the box to the side. Like if it was done. And I was like, no, 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 no you got to dig deeper. Now I'm preaching. Because she almost threw out the treasure with the trash. All she had to do was dig deeper into a disappointing experience to find out that the answer was there all along. This is why we don't throw, this is why there are no throwaway experiences in our life. This is why there are no throwaway relationships in our life. Because everything that has happened in our life has been the answer to a prayer. And if you dig deep enough into that prayer into that situation, if you dig deep enough into that breakup, if you dig deep enough into that bankruptcy, if you dig deep enough into that divorce, if you dig deep enough into that sickness I'm preaching if you dig deep enough into your finances, if you dig deep enough into the into your children not loving the Lord, if you dig deep enough into your dropout of college, if you dig deep enough you will find that there is treasure in the trash don't throw away what God has given you give thanks for it maybe that's why God says give thanks in all circumstances I love my wife she said thank you even when she didn't understand the gift <laughs> she's like thank you but she said thank you you know why because her trust in me outweighed what she see, what she saw in front of her she saw the weights but she said listen i know jj and jj is a good fiance or boyfriend at that time he's a good boyfriend and i know that what he wants to give me is good so i'm going to say thank you even though i don't understand it because then i know it'll make sense in the end that's why we got to give thanks for the breakup i'm telling you because it was an answer We got to give thanks, even when our marriage goes through tough times. Why? Because it's an answer. God is giving us something that we've been praying for. Amen? Amen. Peter could have definitely used that because Peter missed it too. Matthew 16, 17, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And everybody's wrong except Peter. Peter said, blessed are you. He said, said, you're Jesus the Christ. And Jesus said, you got it right, bro, you got it right. Look what he says. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So in in verse 17, he's saying, way to go, Peter. You are so tuned into the frequency, bro. You got this frequency down pat, man. Look at you. You know things about me that I didn't tell anybody. Man, you are so tuned in. You've been listening to that frequency sermon series and you got it. Amen, awesome, bro, great. And then he changes his name He goes, and you are a rock. It's awesome. And now I'm going to build my, temp, my church on you, and this is great. Five verses later, in verse 23, Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going to have to die on the cross, and he's going to have to be buried for three days. And, and this is what Peter says. Peter says, no, that's not God's will for you. I don't want you to die. You're not going to die. And five verses later, look what Jesus says. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Five verses earlier, he's he's got God's cell phone number. Five verses later, he is the devil himself. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Why was Peter off? Because Peter actually wanted a, a, a heavenly kingdom on earth. He, he wanted an earthly kingdom. He thought that Jesus was coming to raise up the Jewish people so that they can rule over all creation. Listen to me. Peter was focused on the outside. But Jesus didn't want to bring a kingdom to earth. He wanted a kingdom in Peter. He, he wasn't concerned about the external. He was concerned about the internal, which is a very important message because here's what you need to know about your answer. Your answer will not prioritize prosperity over process. Your answer will not prioritize prosperity over process. Peter was saying, I want you to do things on on the outside of me. I want you to get this right. And I want you to get that right. And I want you to build this. And I want you to build that. And God said, no, no, no. I want to build you. And I want to get you right. It makes sense why we, listen, people from the beginning of time have always been builders. And we've always been concerned with building things on the outside. And it makes sense because this is the world we live in. The home that we build with our job is the, is the home that we live in. And the, the job that we have is the, is the job that we work in. It makes sense that we're concerned with the outside because the outside is the world we live in. But Jesus is not in the business of building businesses. He's in the business of building humans because we are the world that he lives in. We are his temple. He chooses to live in us, and he would rather build us up as individuals than just bless us with a bunch of different gifts and things of that nature. It's not that he doesn't want you to be prosperous. Please understand this. God is not in heaven thinking, How can I get this person to be as poor as possible? How can I get this person's car to break down 10 times a week? I get up. God is not in the business of, 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 of you know, of ruining our lives. He, he wants us to be prosperous. There's just two things he knows about prosperity that we don't know. The first is that the amount of money in your bank account has nothing to do with your prosperity. I hope that you know that. The amount of money you have in your bank account has nothing to do with, uh, with whether or not you are prosperous. Uh, because true prosperity is something no one can take from you. Jesus talked about this one time in the scriptures. He was saying, don't build up treasure here on earth where moths or thieves can get it, but build your treasure in heaven where it waits for you for eternity. I love what the missionary Jim Elliott said before he went to a country to die to preach the gospel. He said, he is no fool who gives something he cannot keep to gain something he cannot lose. What's he talking about? I may be giving up my life. I may be giving up my finances, but I'm getting something that no one can ever take from me. Joy, peace, patience, rest. There are things that God wants to build inside of you that no one can take from you. That is true prosperity. When you're prospering on the inside, when you're prospering in your joy, when you're prospering in hope, when you're prospering in, in, in rest, Those, that's true prosperity. And here's the other thing Jesus knows about prosperity that we don't know, and that's this. If he puts money If he puts more money in your pockets and more cars in your garage and more abbreviations in your name without putting more peace in your mind, what should bless you could break you. I said it this way, and if you're taking notes, you can write it down. Prosperity has the ability to breed anxiety. Prosperity has the ability to breed anxiety. And if you don't believe that, you've never had money. (laughs) That's what I know about you. You've been been lower to middle class your whole life. And you just think, if I can get prosperous, I will be good. No. Meet somebody who owns four homes. You wish you could own four. You're renting right now. And you're sharing the rent with a friend. You think, if I could just own one home, I'd be good. Meet somebody who owns four homes and can't sleep at night because they have no renters and now they're having to pay four mortgages. Meet somebody who's got a ton of money in the stock market. You think, man, I wish I could have money in the stock market. I can't even afford stockings, okay? I just want to start. Listen, meet somebody who's got hundreds of thousands of dollars in the stock stock market and talk to them when the market crashes one day and all of their finances gone like that, losing hundreds of thousands of dollars in a day. Ask somebody who owns a BMW how much an oil change is. I'm just telling you that sometimes prosperity can lead to anxiety. And so before God gives you blessings, he wants to build up in you the endurance and the strength so that you can then bear the weight of that blessing. Listen, he is not the prince of prosperity. He's the prince of peace. And he will never give you something that is going to take away your peace. And so sometimes he holds back blessings because he knows that if I give you that blessing, it's going to mess you up. In fact, and I can even flip it, sometimes he'll take things out of your life to give you peace. Why did God take that, that, that relationship away from me? Now I got nobody because your life with that person was not healthy. And so he took it away so that you can get peace. I remember I woke up one morning and I was like, I want to be a runner today. <laughs> Don't leave me hanging. I you ever felt that. <laughs> You go driving back from home from work or early in the morning on your way to church and you watch all those people who jogging, who should be in church. I'm just kidding. All those people jogging and you're like, man, and you know, it's like a, I don't know what it is that rises up inside of you. But you're like, so I saw them and I just thought, I'm going to be a runner today. Today I'm going to be a runner. I got some shorts. I put on some sneakers. I said, this is the day. I I am officially evolving. I am becoming a runner. And I said, I'm going to run two miles. No, I ran one mile, and then on the on about about a third, a quarter of the way on the return mile, I, I tore a tendon in my foot. It's called plantar fasciitis. You ever had that? It's awful. It's like a knife. Like someone like stuck a knife in your heel and you walk around with it. And I was I was so late for lunch. This was like what happened. I was like I just I ran. <laughs> I wanted to be a runner today and it ruined my life. Okay and. And, and and what I I talked to my friend of mine who was a runner, and I said, Man, I said, running's hard. He said, Well, have you ever ran before? And I was like, I mean, when I was a kid, but he goes, You just can't go out, and wake up in the morning, and decide to run two miles. He goes, You gotta develop endurance, you gotta develop strength, you gotta develop that flexibility. Some of us are asking God to bless us with things that if He actually gave us, he said it would tear things inside of us, it would break things inside of us. And so here's what he has to do: He has to take us through a process. That will build the endurance, that will build the flexibility, that will build the strength to be able to then receive what he really wants to give us. He will never prioritize prosperity over process. And so how do we hear God's voice? How do we figure this out? Well, Here's what 1 John 4 says. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test. Somebody say test. There is a way to test. There is a way to test what you hear to be sure that it comes from God. And I want to teach you that test today. This is going to be so helpful. This is a four-part test that you can take to any whisper, to any feeling that you may have to discover whether or not what you're hearing is really the Lord. And then you can move on what you hear. Here's the first test. Listen, your answer will align with God's word. The Bible here. (laughs) Because God's word will never contradict God's voice. God's voice will never contradict God's word. If it's in, it's got, whatever you hear from God has got to line up. And I say that humbly, but I also say that like your pastor, because I've, I've met somebody who is no longer happy in their marriage, and they met a cute young woman at work and talked to me. Listen, I think God wants me to leave my wife and date the receptionist. I really feel like this is what he has for me. Pastor, you were talking about the whisper last Sunday. I heard the whisper. I feel like the spirit is telling me. I'm like, brother, it's a spirit that's telling you, but not the spirit. That's you. you got a spirit for sure. We need to pray with that spirit. But, but, I feel, but doesn't God want me to, me to be happy? No. <laughs> he wants you to be holy. Now, holiness will lead to happiness. But if you try to get happiness without holiness, you'll only find a temporary sense of satisfaction that will last until you get tired of this relationship and you get into the next one. His goal is not happiness, it's holiness, because he knows that holiness leads to true happiness. So you got to align with God's word. Well, I just want to feel it out. No, don't do it. Listen, there's a place for feeling in hearing God's, in, in getting God's direction, but feelings come at the end of the process, not at the beginning. The first time I was ever pulled over by a policeman for speeding, I was on I-4 coming to visit a friend in Orlando, and I was kind of, had my license, just had my license, and I was like, this is cool, I'm going to go fast. And I wanted to test out how fast I could go, and there was a point where I stopped looking at the speedometer, And I started looking at the cars around me and I said, I'm gonna just go with the flow. That guy's going fast, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna just go with that. And when they slowed down around me, I slowed down around me. Until I heard the boop boop and the lights and the little flashes. I was like, that must be somebody else out here, but (laughs) it's one of these guys out here. And then the cop kept following me and I'm like, you could pass me, sir, if you'd like to pass me. You could just go around. Pulled over to the right lane, he pulled over to the middle lane, I pulled over to the right lane, he pulled over to the right lane, I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, the first time you get pulled over, you don't really know what's happening, right? You just, oh. Pulled over, he came up to me, and what does every cop say? It's like a parent, always, right? What does every cop say when they pull you over? Every time, what is the right answer to that question? Somebody tell me, so I can get away with it. I, why are you even asking? Does it matter? Does my answer change whether or not I get a ticket? Let's just make this go fast. Give me the ticket I can go home, right? If you're in the police force, I love you. Thank you. Um, and so <laughs> he opened his window and he's like, he's like, sir, did you know how fast you were going? I looked around. I saw the speed limit sign. It said 70. I said, felt like 70. <laughs> you know you said that. <laughs> it felt like, sir, it felt like, officer, sir, officer, your highness. It felt like. It felt felt like 70. And I was trying to feel my way through a situation that the manufacturer of my car had already equipped me to discover. There was a device on my car called a speedometer. And had I simply read the speedometer, I could have overwritten my feelings. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't try and feel your way through a prayer that God has already equipped you to read. You got the answer. It's it's there. You got to read it. And a lot of people don't do that because their experience with the Bible, listen, they feel like it's an outdated book. That the things that Jesus wrote thousands of years, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, that the people wrote thousands of years ago, that it's no longer relevant. And if that's you, I just want to read a quick scripture. Luke chapter 21, verse 33. And though all heaven and earth shall pass away, yet my words will forever be true. It is still relevant. This Bible still works. It can still speak to your situation. And if I'm honest, 90% of your prayers have already been answered. If you would read them and not feel them. Amen? Amen. Come on, I know that's hard teaching. Amen? Amen, Amen. you got to be with me. Okay. Number two, your answer will make you more like Jesus. There was a, a young man, a friend of mine, who had been married for many years. And one day his wife just decided she no longer wanted to be married to him. And he had an issue because he knew what the Bible taught about divorce. And if you're new to church, the Bible is very clear that it is not God's will that any of us should be. Divorced. Now, I'm not making anybody feel guilty because I know we have a ton of divorced people at our church. God does not hate divorced people. He loves you and there's still a plan for your life if you're one of them. But he came to me and he said, listen, I know the Bible says this, but my wife wants to leave. What do I do? And we sat down and I said, listen, I know what the Bible says. I said, but what would Jesus do? He said, I don't know. I said, well, you know what? I read the story of the prodigal son. And, and you know what? The father, as much as it's a story about a father and the son, and the son said, I want to leave. And you know, as much as the father loved the son, you know what he said? The father said, hey, I love you, but if I really love you, I can't keep you. I got to let you go. I said, you know what? I know that it doesn't align right with the word because this is the process. You got to take it to the four test. But you can't force a person to love you who doesn't love you. And Jesus' greatest showing of loving us was not forcing us to be in this relationship. You don't have to be a Christian, by the way. You choose to be. You don't have to come to church. You choose to come to church. I said, I think as much as you love her, if she wants to leave, you gotta let her go. He said yes. Reluctantly, he signed the divorce papers. Didn't want to. He wanted to work on his, she didn't want to anymore. She left. Can I tell you? Three weeks after she left, she sent him a text message. God spoke to her heart. She gave her life to Jesus in a living room and now is working on the relationship again. That was God. I read right, the last two really quickly. Your answer will agree with godly counsel. Proverbs 19, 20, take good counsel and accept correction. That's the way to live wisely and well. Good counsel. Hello. The Bible said good counsel, hello? (laughs) Because some of us got counsel, but it ain't good. (laughs) We got people in our life who don't love. Here's how I know good counsel. Listen, they love you more than they love themselves. They love Jesus more than they love you, and they love the local church. I believe that the people God wants to surround you with are the people in your local church. Hear me out. If you need friends, look for friends in your local church. They're here for you. That's why we got journey groups. I can't push this enough. We got great journey groups you want to be a part of. If you need a mentor, look for a mentor in the local church. If you need a spouse, look in the local church. I'm telling you, this was God's plan for community to get you around good people. But you can't upgrade your life if you don't upgrade your friends. We all want to be better, but we don't want better friends. We want to keep the same friends and get better. And sometimes we got we to switch. But I've known them since second grade, and that's why you're acting like a second grader. But it, I'm sorry, bad pastor. Um, I'm, I want you to succeed. I want you to be healthy. I want you to be happy. I'm just telling you, you might need better friends to become a better person. And the people around you, hey, we're not perfect. I'm not telling you that if you get in a journey group, you're going to meet people who are perfect. I'm telling you that if you get in a journey group, you're going to be people who are just as messed up as you and I are. And we all know it and we're all working on it and we're all trying to get better. We don't pretend like we're perfect. We know we're not. And that's what makes the community so beautiful. Because we're all encouraging one another to grow. And lastly, now where do feelings come into it? Here's what you got to hear. Lastly, your answer will give you peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. When God called us to plant a church in Winter Park two years ago, we had no idea it was going to be Winter Park. When you knew that God called us to plant a church, but we didn't know where. And one night I had a dream, this is true, it's funny, I had a dream. And in this dream, a pastor came up to me. And this, now, God doesn't normally talk to me through dreams, and he doesn't normally talk to people through dreams, I don't think. I, I think he up, talks through his word. He talks through the whispers, but I had this dream. And, and in this dream, this pastor goes to me, he goes, J.J. Vasquez. And I'm like, yeah. And it's like a big, well-known pastor. And he's in my dream, and he knows my name. And I feel important. And he's like, God's calling you to plan a church. I was like, I know that. Where? The dream. It was like one of those Wayne's World things. Remember Wayne's World? We, no? Okay. And he says, and God wants you to plan a church. He goes like this. He goes, in winter? And then my baby started crying. In real life. And I woke up and I tried so hard to get back into dream world to finish the rest of it. And I woke up my wife and I said, "Babe, God wants us to plant a church in winter something. I'm still new to Orlando. She's like, well, that's a problem. I'm like, why? Because we got winter garden. We got winter springs. We got winter haven. And we got winter park. I said, well, we're just going to have to get in the car and drive to all them winters. <laughs> True story. So until the Lord speaks to us. She was like, I'm down. Let's do it. And we did, it. over the next couple weeks, we were in Winter Haven, we were in Winter Garden, we were in Winter Springs, and we got out the car, we walked, we went every venue and every school, and our last stop was Winter Park. And we felt something when we came to Winter Park. I can't explain it to you, because it surpasses understanding, which means it's hard to put into words, but when we drove into this community, we felt the peace of God, like a rest, like this is where the church needs to be i don't know if it was park avenue i don't know if it was the food that we ate or the beautiful rollins college or or what but we knew that we were in the right place now notice this it said the peace of god not my peace because your the things that bring you peace are not the things that bring god peace and sometimes he'll ask you to do something that makes you uncomfortable but brings god peace and you know it. You know it. You're like, I don't like the answer, but I know it's right. Have you ever been there? Come on. That's why it's called the peace of God and not the peace of Jenny. That's why it's called the peace of God and not the peace of, of, of Joe. It's the peace of God. And I was in a situation that I didn't want to, I did not, I love you, thank you for being here. This was not my number one choice to plan a church. You say, Why? They say because if you're planning a church, you got to plan a church in a place where people look like you and are around your same age. And so I opened up the demographics of Winter Park, and they're like, "Well, you got 17-year-olds going to college, and you got people who are in their retirement years." And I'm like, "Great, I'm middle-aged. I'm nowhere near any of those people." He said, "And then, and this is this is what they teach you sometimes, and it's so wrong. And they say, and you should plan a church in a city that has your same race or skin color. They teach you those things because people are attracted to people who look like you." And so I was like, nope, not Not went apart. It didn't bring me peace, but it brought God peace because God knew something I didn't know. He knew that Journey Church would be a place where older people and younger people could come together, where black people and white people could come together, where Spanish people and Asian people and Indian people and atheists and agnostics could come together. It made me uncomfortable and it made me scared, but it brought God peace where Spanish speakers and English speakers could all come together. He had a different plan than my plan. And there are people here today, listen, you know, as I've I've given you these these, these tests, even as I'm speaking, you know, the answer to your prayer that you came in here with, God's already given it to you. And you don't like it. (laughs) Because it doesn't align with what brings you peace. But if we're being honest, you know it's God. And His peace is flowing over you right now. Even as I'm speaking these words, you're thinking, dang it, Jesus. But if you say so, but if you say so, every head about every eye closed. I think there are people here today. Here's what makes you uncomfortable. You can hear God telling you, it's time to get closer to me. It's time to get into a relation with me. And it's time to stop playing around. It's time to start. It's time to start your faith journey. It's time to go to next steps. It's time to get involved in a team. It's time to give your life over to Jesus. And you're hearing it and it makes you uncomfortable because you're not perfect and you know it. But it's bringing you peace. It's time to get right. If that's you, when I say three and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, let's dim the lights here. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want, to, I want you to raise your hand on three. If that's you, you want to give your life to Jesus. You feel the peace coming over you right now. One, two, three, right now, all over this auditorium. If that's you, come on, I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. Amen. I see that hand. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Father God, I hear your voice. I hear your whisper. I feel your peace. Come on, say it. I feel your peace. And I'm coming back home. Jesus, live in my heart. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us, amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option, or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.